Open your Bibles with me, would you, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 17. Uh, which is uh, often known as the high priestly prayer. It is this prayer that Jesus prays in the garden uh, the night before he, uh, the night that he is betrayed and the night before he will be uh, handed over to be crucified. And uh, it, it is uh, quite a prayer indeed. There's a lot that we can glean from it. Uh, today we're going to look specifically at, uh, at this uh, aspect of Jesus's prayer, which is uh, God's glory and evangelism. Evangelism and the glory glory of God. We are spending 40 days together as a church in prayer, and we're, uh, I think, uh, 12 days, today is day 12 of 40, and uh, so hopefully as you're pressing through and praying for our church, for God's uh, wisdom to be uh, on us, for him to give us clear direction about ministry in the future and what will surely be uh, a a different sort of normal than we have known before, uh, we are also praying each day uh, for a different one of those core functions of the church, worship. Uh, discipleship, evangelism, ministry, fellowship in no particular order. Last week, we looked at 1 Chronicles 16 to see God's glory and worship. And this week, we are seeing how God's glory relates to our evangelism, how God's glory relates to our gospel sharing. And so from John 17 this morning, what I want for us to glean, the main idea I want for us to walk away from uh, this text is this, that God's glory is the heart and the whole of our gospel sharing. God's glory is, a, is the heart and the whole of our gospel sharing. And I would hope that after spending time in John 17, this high priestly prayer of Jesus, that we would shape our evangelistic efforts, our, our work to share the gospel with those who have not heard it yet by the wonderful, beautiful, awe-inspiring glory of God. Remember, we defined God's glory last week uh, by saying it is his fame or splendor his beauty, the, the, the uh, communication of his manifold perfections, which is associated with his manifest presence. So God's glory is everything that is beautiful and perfect about him associated with his presence in the world and in our lives. And that is what is to be the heart and the whole of our gospel sharing. Now, I've lived in uh, many places in my life with beautiful sunsets on the regular. Spent most of my life here in New Mexico. You know we have beautiful sunsets almost every day. We spent several years living in uh, Northern California in the Bay Area. Beautiful sunsets in Northern California there. We spent about a year living in Hawaii where yet again, beautiful sunsets. But if you were to go to my Facebook page or, or Twitter feed or whatever, you would probably not find that many pictures of beautiful sunsets. You'll find a few of days I was particularly awed by the the sunset, by the beauty of the sunset, and it's like, oh, I got to snap a picture of that thing and, you know, let everybody know that I saw this. And, uh, and so you'll see some of those, but not a lot of them. And surely I've seen thousands in my life of beautiful sunsets, and yet my sharing of those things has been relatively minimal. Why is that? I think sometimes, sometimes in part because I get so used to seeing beautiful things that it just becomes normal and I forget how beautiful and worthy of sharing that with other people it actually becomes. And so I think also it can be, not just with sunsets, but on a far deeper and more important level, we can grow, if I can say it this way, uh, maybe blind or spoiled to the beauty of the glory of God such that we forget to tell other people about it. 
There's a sense in which we need to regularly have our eyes opened to the beauty and splendor and majesty of God in such a way that drives us to want to tell others. God's glory must be the heart and the whole of our gospel sharing. We share the gospel because God is beautiful, because he is glorious. In understanding this, that God's glory is the heart and whole of our gospel sharing, we see from John 17, first in verses one through five, that the, that the glory of God is our evangelistic motive. The glory of God is our evangelistic motive. Look with me at verses one through five of chapter 17 as Jesus begins praying. John writes, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Our motive, the, the fuel in our tank for declaring the gospel to other people, for pointing other people to the saving work and person of Jesus Christ must be God's glory. His fame and splendor associated with his manifest presence because it was the glory of God that was the primary motive of Jesus, the son of God whose incarnation, whose life and whose ministry is the very core of the gospel message. See how this is at play in these verses. Jesus prays to the Father to be glorified. He says, Father, glorify me, right? Make me famous, make me to appear beautiful as I am God in human flesh among those that you have created. Make me famous, Jesus says, so that I can glorify you. Make me famous so I can make you famous. And how does Jesus make the Father famous? By giving eternal life to all who come to know God by faith in him. So God is to, so Jesus is praying, cause all men to see me, to look to me, to see the beauty of what is about to be on display as I die for sins. Draw all men and women's attention to me so that I can point them to you. Glorify me so I can glorify you, Father. So Jesus effectively pr prays this, make me to display all of the glory I had before the incarnation so that I can show all of your glory so that people will believe me and know you and live. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, Father, and they know me, your son, whom you have sent. Cause other people to, in their living, in their re receipt of eternal life, to, to, to know you, to love you, and to have their greatest delight in you. God's glory is our motive in evangelism. It's what drives us. And some may say, though, I thought our motive for evangelism was love because God's, God is love and, and love is God's motive for saving. Certainly, we looked at some of that last week. Romans chapter five, verse eight. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John three sixteen. God loved the world in this way that he sent his one and only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, right, brought, uh, made us to be alive together with Christ. Shouldn't our motive in evangelism be love, not God's glory? And I say, 
Yes, love should be our motive in gospel sharing, but only insofar as our love is a function, is a product of our delight in God. Do we delight in God being famous in the world? Do we delight in God being shown to be perfectly beautiful in the hearts and minds of every human being on earth? Do we delight in, in the prospect of God making his presence known in the world and in the lives of others? And because of our delight in him, do we love him and love others? If so, then yes, love is part of our motivation in gospel sharing. But if our love is for others, it's just simply a love for human beings apart from or before a love for God, it is a love misplaced. So we must first love God and love his glory. And only then can we rightly love other people as God loves them and share the gospel for God's glory the way that we are meant to do. In the evangelism that the church does, as we, as members of First West, tell the gospel to other people, share Jesus with those who don't know him yet, we must want more, we must want more what is best for the person who doesn't know Jesus. We need to want God's best for them, not simply humanity's best for them. When we want what is supremely best, when we want what is God's best for them, and what is best for God in all the intelligent world, which is his glory and his glory known by others, then and only then are our, is our motive for evangelism rightly placed. Our motive for evangelism must be the glory of God because it was Jesus's motive the night before he gave his life. One commentator says this about John 17, one through five. He says, the deepest passion of the heart of Jesus was not the saving of men, but the glory of God. And then, right on the tail of that, the saving of men. Because the saving of men is for the glory of God. And so we desire that men and women be saved, that they come to know Jesus. But we desire God's glory first. We desire God's fame and splendor, his many uh, infinite perfections to be known in all the earth. And then wanting that, knowing that, loving that, we seek to uh, see others come into that same sort of relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Think about it this way. If what I want most for my children is that they grow up healthy and happy and well-adjusted, then I will stop at nothing to make them healthy and happy and well-adjusted, which means that I may, if what I want for, for them is what is best in this earth, I may set aside or I may sacrifice their holiness for their happiness, you see? I may seek what makes them smile today rather than what delights them for eternity if what all I want for them in life is to be healthy and happy and well-adjusted and successful. But if what I want most for my children is for them to know the, the infinite beauty of God, to be delighted by God through faith in Christ more than anything else in the world, then I will sacrifice nothing Right? And, or, or I will sacrifice everything in order to see God's glory manifested in their lives. We must want bigger, better things for the world in order to share the gospel with the right sort of heart and to, in sharing our gospel, point people to the kind of life that God has, has saved them in Christ to live. God does not save us in Christ merely to escape hell. That, that is a benefit of salvation, but certainly it's not the greatest benefit. The greatest benefit of salvation is to know God, to know God. 
I feel like I might need to say that 16 or 20 times to, to let it sink into our minds that the greatest thing that, 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 that we can experience in, in this life is knowledge, unveiled knowledge and worship of God who made us far more than having sins forgiven and escaping hell, which are no doubt legitimate, good benefits of salvation. Far more than that, God has made us to know his glory. And so his glory must be our motive in evangelism. But we see from John 17, verses six through 19, that God's glory is also our evangelistic message. Listen to what Jesus says. He continues, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, Jesus says. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given to me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they, will, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's there speaking of Judas, the betrayer. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask for you to take them out of the world, Jesus says, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. God's glory is our evangelistic message. How is that so from these passages? Well, as we look through verses six through 19, we see kind of a summary of the gospel. That, that God sent his son Jesus to live in the world, to, to manifest, to point to God the Father in his life. We know uh, uh, from Hebrews 4 that Jesus is, uh, uh, displays all the glory of the Father, that he is, bears the exact imprint and nature of God the Father. He reveals God to mankind. He calls to himself those that will be saved by faith in him, and he sets them apart to be sanctified, right? To be made holy, to be made more conformed to his image so that they might know eternal life with him afterwards. This is a summary of the gospel message. God sent Christ to live a holy life, to die for our sins, be raised from the dead, so that in trusting him, we might have eternal life and be sanctified by the Spirit. So when I say that God's glory is our evangelistic message, some may say, are you saying, Stephen, that to preach the gospel is to essentially repeat the definition of God's glory that we're working with over these next several weeks? Like I could just go to somebody and say, hey, listen, buddy, I don't know you, but uh, God's glory is his fame and splendor associated with his manifest presence and think that you've shared the gospel. No, of course not. That is not sharing the gospel. But I do say that God's glory is our evangelistic message in the sense that Christ is our message. Jesus, who is the glory of God, 
right? The manifest glory of God is the one that we point people to. It's his life that we proclaim. It's his uh, death for sins and resurrection that we point people to and say people must have faith in as, uh, with Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus himself says he, was ma- he manifested God's name, his reputation, his, his person among people. This is who Jesus is. It's what he does. It's how John identifies him at the beginning of his gospel in John uh, chapter one, verses one through four. Listen, John says, in the beginning was the word, capital W word, speaking of, of Jesus in sort of a philosophical sense, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life and life was, and the life was the light of men. In verse 14 of John 1, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, his fame and splendor because he is the very embodied presence of God. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus's prayer here in John 17, he, he reminds the father as though the father needed to be reminded, but that those who believed him came to believe by the power of the message that the kingdom of God was proclaimed in all the earth. They saw who Jesus was. They believed that he was the Messiah. They gave their lives in obedience to him. And those who have believed in him belong to him. They've not been lost. And even in verse 14 of John 17, Jesus says that they share in the experience of God's glory in them and are kept safe by him and commissioned by him to take the word to the world, further sanctified and conformed to his image. So here we see that all that Christ does in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all that Christ continues to do in the life of believers through his Holy Spirit, which brings about sanctification in our life, All of those things, every aspect of salvation, every aspect of the gospel shines light upon the infinite beauty of God. The wonderful, delightful splendor and majesty of God. It shows his love. It shows his justice. It shows his his desire to save people. Friends, our evangelistic message is not so meager. It's not so small as be saved from this burning building but it is as robust and as weighty as to say, behold, a better way of pursuing God's grand purpose and design for you. Look upon Jesus. Be saved to live life for the greatest purpose possible. Be saved to live the life God created you to live. Don't only be saved from hell, be saved to know your maker in truth and in love and to delight in him. God's glory is our evangelistic message. But third, it is also our evangelistic purpose. So it's our motive. It's what drives us. It's our message. It's what we proclaim. And it's also the purpose. It's the thing that we share. It's the reason that we share the gospel. We share the gospel so that God will be glorified. Again, hear Jesus's prayer in verses 20 through 23 of John 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, speaking of his uh, immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
Verse 20 is striking because even as Jesus prays for uh, those who have believed his message, he prays also for those who have not yet heard the message. He, Jesus was in the garden, friend, praying for you even before you ever knew or heard the gospel and responded to it. Is that, does that not blow your mind? That Jesus, the son of God, took time to pray for you, friend, in the 21st century. He prays for those who know him. He prays for those who will come to know him. And then he prays that all who have come to know him will be united. And that in their unity, they will proclaim the gospel to others. Jesus wants the church to be united in faith to him, united in faith to each other, so that the glory of God shines out of our lives as we point people to Jesus. It is strange, but Jesus says that in some way, this unity that the church shares is in some, some sense reflective of the glory of God in his own triune nature. He says, the glory that I had with you, I've given to them. That does not mean that we you know, become gods or become like God, but that our lives reflect and, and reflect, refract and shine into the world like living diamonds, the light of God's beauty. Our unity in Jesus then, verse 23, we see, serves to turn the eyes of the world to the glorious character and purpose of the Father. As the church, as those who have responded to Christ by faith, are united together in the gospel, the life that we live together, the love that we share for one another, uh, points, draws the eyes and the attention of men and women to Christ in us. We share the glorious gospel for the glory of God. We want God to be glorified in us and in the world so that we can share in a closeness and a fellowship with other human beings that is founded upon something far greater and far deeper than anything in this world. We share a unity that is grounded in God, a unity that is grounded in Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. We share the good news of life in Christ with the purpose of seeing the knowledge of God, the love of God, and the joy of God take root in the hearts of others. And so in so doing, Jesus says that we share in the glory that he and the Father share as our collective life together points to the beauty of God and his powerful, uh, uh, majestic, saving nature in salvation. So we don't share the gospel with the mere purpose of seeing people forgiven of sin and rescued from hell, as we've said before, but, but we do at least that. Certainly, we want people to be forgiven of sin. We want people to be rescued from hell. But in their salvation, we want far more than just that. If our desire for people coming to know Christ is, is, is set at the bar of being saved from hell and forgiven of sin, we have set a relatively low bar for the kind of life God desires for us to live in him. God desires far more than he wants close, uh, uh, tight-knit relationship with us. He wants to manifest himself in our lives through his Holy Spirit as he conforms us to the image of Christ. And as I said before, shines the light of his glory out of our lives like living diamonds into the world. That's what God wants from us. Not merely to be lumps of coal that have been plucked from the fire and set aside not to be burned. And so we are to share the gospel in order to see the holiness of God, the light of his presence, fill the hearts of those who are still far from him. Do we want people saved from sin, rescued from hell? Yes, absolutely, of course. But we also want much more than that for them in Christ. 
God's glory is our evangelistic purpose. It's what we're aiming for, that, that people would be taken from lumps of coal transformed in the grip of God's grace into living diamonds that reflect his glory into the world. But finally, we see that the glory of God, his fame and splendor associated with his manifest presence is our evangelistic reward. That's our reward, God's glory. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 24 through 26 as he closes his prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Hear what Jesus prays in verse 24. I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. To what? See my glory. To know my fame and splendor as I am present with my people, the the sheep of my flock, the people of my pasture. Jesus desires to make the name, his name, known fully in the lives of those who know him, but also to make the name of the Father continually known in the world through his people so that as his people abide in Christ, dwell with Christ, live with Christ, they will also serve again as those that draw other people to uh, the Father, to see the love of the Father, to be united to the Father by faith in Jesus. Friends, this is our reward for sharing the gospel. Eternal life, in the all-consuming, all-satisfying, all-delightful glory of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. And to be there with those also who have with us said yes to Christ. Yes, you are my Lord. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I am repenting. Yes, I have trusted you, Christ. Yes, my life is yours. Yes, transform me, conform me into your image. Yes, shine the glory of your presence in my life that others may see it and see you and love you. This reward to be in the presence of Christ, to see his glory is so much better than notches on our evangelistic belts. It's so much better than not feeling guilty anymore for you know, not having shared the gospel as often as we wanted to. This reward of being in the presence of Christ to see his glory with those that have come to faith in him is a better reward even than larger church roles and many baptisms, though we pray for those things too. To live today in the shared glory of God with those that he has called to himself through the gospel that we declare is far better than any earthly or psychological reward. To see, to know, to share in the beauty and fame of God as he is present in us is a delightful reward today and for eternity. God's intention is our pleasure and our joy to see him do in the hearts of men and women what only he can do as he calls them to faith. God's design for us is to be most fulfilled in life, to to be most satisfied in life when he is most glorified in us and in the lives of others. God's glory, his fame and splendor associated with his presence in the world is a far better motive for our evangelism. It's a far greater reward for our faithfulness to see Christ high and lifted up by those who previously lived in rebellion to him. 
Church, this morning I have to confess to you that far too often in my life, God's glory has not been the thing driving my evangelistic efforts. I have wanted good relationship with people who don't know Jesus more than I've wanted the glory of God to shine in their lives. And that has often kept me from pointing them to the most beautiful reality that I or anyone could ever come to know. Because I've wanted a tension-free relationship with them more than I've wanted their holiness in God's presence as they're transformed by Christ. I have not shared the gospel with them. And so I'm convicted by the prayer of Jesus as he prays to God at the beginning of John 17. Glorify me so that I can glorify you. Shine the light of your splendor upon me, Father, so that I can point all men to you. Do I, is my life, do I look at evangelism the same way? Do I pray, God, make yourself famous in my life so that people will see you. Make Christ, exalt Christ in my life so that people will see you. God, make me to love your glory, your fame, your reputation, your uh, majesty in the earth. Make me to love that more than anything else so that I will sacrifice everything to see your will be done and your glory fill all the earth. This passage convicts me because sometimes I share the gospel just so I'll stop feeling guilty about not sharing the gospel as much. But that's not God's intention for us. He doesn't save us to make us feel guilty about not sharing the gospel enough. Rather, he saves us to know him and love him and delight in him. And so that our gospel sharing, our evangelism would flow out of that unhindered by anything else in life. God's glory must be the heart and the whole of our gospel sharing. This is a challenging word to us. It's a challenging word to me, but I'm certain that it is true. And so with it, I'll ask that God will apply these words to our hearts, that he will show us his glory and move us by his beauty to do what we have seen scripture lead us to do. With this, I close with another prayer from the Puritans, prayer called God's cause. Let us make this our, the prayer of our hearts today. Will you pray with me? Sovereign God, thy cause, not my own, engages my heart. And I appeal to thee with greatest freedom to set up thy kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify thyself and I shall rejoice. For to bring honor to thy name is my sole desire. I adore thee that thou art God and long that others should know it and feel it and rejoice in it. Oh, that all men might love and praise thee, that thou mightest have all glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to thee for thy dear name. To the eye of reason, everything respecting the conversion of others is as dark as midnight, but thou canst accomplish great things. The cause is thine. And it is to thy glory that men should be saved. Lord, use me as thou wilt. Do with me what thou wilt. But oh, promote thy cause. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. Oh, do thou bring in great numbers to Jesus. Let me see that glorious day and give me to grasp for multitudes of souls. Let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor for thee to the utmost of my strength, spending time profitably in this work, both in health and in weakness. It is thy cause and thy kingdom that I long for, not my own. 
Oh, Father, answer thou my request. For the glory of Jesus, amen.